Good afternoon, and welcome to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Over the next hour, you'll learn how to see your true self in the midst of life's twists and turns. You'll be challenged to think outside of the box when it comes to the mysteries of life. Now, here's your host, Andrea Matthews. Good afternoon, and welcome to the 200th episode of the Authentic Living Show. Today, we're celebrating all of the beautiful people and organizations that have facilitated the ongoing success of the Authentic Living Show. We've been so fortunate to have interviewed some of the world's most profound and prolific best-selling authors and entertainers, including such spiritual giants as Marianne Williamson, Brian Weiss, Dr. Christian Northrup, Neil Donald Walsh, Joan Borsinko, Caroline Mice, Byron Katie, Gary Zukoff, Thomas Moore, Tom Shadiak, Roseanne Cash, Bruce Lipton, Dr. Clarissa Pinkola Estes, Dr. Judith Orloff, Dr. Bernie Siegel, Dr. Larry Dossey, and many more. Some of these folks have been on the show three or four times, and all of them have brought their own unique way of expressing our journey to authenticity, to soul, to our own divine self. And we're so grateful to them for their participation in offering you, our listening audience, some of the most profound information available on planet Earth. And we're likewise grateful to our sponsors, the first of which was the American Institute of Holistic Theology, without whom the show would never have gotten off the ground. AIHT is a distance learning college offering master's degrees and PhDs in holistic theology, holistic health, and spiritual care, metaphysical spirituality, and alternative, alternate, excuse me, spiritual traditions. The college has degreed interfaith chaplaincies, chaplains, and ministers all over the world. Spirituality and Health magazine has also sponsored the show, and we're grateful for their participation in that effort as well. That magazine is one of America's most popular spirituality magazines. And finally, we're grateful to the elongated support of the Noetic Institute, our current sponsor for our collaborative work together to put out the message of authenticity. And more than anyone else, we're grateful to our listeners, without whom there would not be any need for such a show. I feel a real affection for all of you and would love to shake your hand or give you a hug in person to show you my gratitude. And you may always feel free to contact me to let me know your thoughts, ask questions and request shows or guests. I look forward to working with you till our 300th episode. So, in celebration of that today, The Authentic Show has uh, represents sanity and practical pathways to the authentic self. And our guest today has the same idea in mind with her latest book called Streetwise Spirituality, 21 Days to Inner Fitness and Everyday Enlightenment. This book tells readers how to cut down on frustration, anger, and stress by turning their spiritual creativity loose on everyday experiences. The author facilitates workshops and offers life coaching on negative core beliefs. Carol telecommutes for Virginia-based American Chiropractic Association, where she's the editor and lead writer of the association's journal, the Journal of the American Chiropractic Association, now JACA online. She's been an anchor and a TV talk host in Japan, a TV and radio anchor in North Carolina, where she was rated top female anchor in that area, and producer host of a medical radio series called Medical Update. She's been a professional voice talent and a programming coordinator for Smithsonian Resident Associates. She currently has her own radio show, also called Streetwise Spirituality. So welcome, Carol Klein, today to the show. Welcome, Carol. Glad to have you here. Thank you. I'm so pleased to be here on your 200th anniversary. That's just wonderful. Yes, and I think you so represent what we what we stand for here because I, I think what I'm trying to do, and I think it must be the same thing you're trying to do, is sort of bring spirituality down to the everyday experience of 
of our lives and make it sane, make it uh, something that is not so um, ungrounded that we can't really ever be successful at it. That's true because that's why we're here. You know, if we were to be always kind of three feet off the ground, we'd be someplace else. But <laughs> there's, so. there's mud to walk through. There are lessons to learn. There are things to enjoy, people to love. And all of that, we can do it right here. And I love that whole idea. Yeah, it really was a cool one, wasn't it? (laughs) We should have thought of that. (laughs) Well, let's talk about the book because the book is exactly on that same topic. It's a very good book. And and I want to really encourage the readers to go out and buy it, Streetwise Spirituality, 28 Days to Inner Fitness and Everyday Everyday Enlightenment. So you talk in the book about a lecturer who's nameless, who offers only lectures, and and did not ask for money for it or anything else, no power, no prestige. Every now and then I hear about these people who are not looking for that, but whose sole mission in life is to put out the word. We know that monks are often doing that, and, and we know that uh, there are some certain sainted individuals who do that as well. This guy remains nameless throughout the book that you've written, but you've taken a lot of your material from the lectures you heard from him. So I want to hear you say something about this whole premise of, just being on a mission to give to the world without asking for much in return. Oh, yes. Well, this particular, it was an entity. He was channeled for 35 years, and the last time he set actual physical foot on the earth plane was about 7,000 years ago. So he just came through twice a week, and he would talk to us about very practical matters around spirituality. And his idea of meditation was not to spend three or four hours on a cushion each day, but to get connected to your soul, spend a little time there, make some kind of an intention, and move through your life and use your life for practical purposes in terms of connecting with the soul and then connecting with each other. And connection was a big part of what he was talking about. Mm -hmm. Yes, it was completely selfless, and he was just he was simply there twice a week without fail, whether we were or not. Wow, very cool. Well, and you also speak of, uh, and some, a phrase I've heard other people mention as well, but I think different people mean different things by it, the, the terms the earth school. Yeah. Talk about that. And I want to hear what, what is your definition of the earth school? What are we learning here? Well, as I see it, the earth school is why we're here. This is what it's about. It's not a random place where we get either wonderful money in our pockets or we're devastatingly poor. It's all a matter of our coming here in order to learn the lessons that we need to learn. So it's meant to help us grow like past personality, past biological drives, past what the culture tells us. Like, you know, the culture is always saying, compete, you know, fight with everybody else, get your bit, there's too little here, you have to have more, or hide your true feelings. You don't really want to share those. People will use them against you. And in Earth School, it, it says to use everything that happens as a potential spiritual lesson. And that's kind of that in a nutshell for me as far as I, it's also that Earth School is found in our repetitive patterns. Because we'll, we'll get into like relationships and there'll be somebody and we, they just drive us crazy. <laughs> yeah. And we finally break up, and then we meet another person who drives us crazy in much the same way and says, oh, I'm just so unlucky. It has nothing to do with, with luck at all. There are lessons to be learned, particularly in our repetitive patterns. And until we start learning them, we keep repeating them. It just goes on and on. 
Yes, that's uh, and that is uh, that is absolutely one of the uh, sort of big cues from the universe going, hello, 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 there's something here to work on when we just keep seeing ourselves repeat and repeat and repeat something. And, and I, you know, what you said there, though, is a whole lot. We move past biolog- biology and we move past personality. So I want to just spend a little bit of time talking about that. What in the world can we do to move past biology and personality? The first thing is to become aware that we even want to do that and that we can do that. I think in the past we thought that there wasn't an awful lot we could do to change our personality. It was just what it was. But through the studies in science, as you very well know, we've learned how plastic the brain is, that Mm -hmm. we can learn, we can change, we can grow. And so it's what I do is I make this split between what I call these two teachers inside us. One is the outer mind and the other is the soul mind. And the outer mind is like it's irrational, it blames people, it manipulates, it's jealous. And soul mind is quite the opposite. It's compassionate, it's rational, and it wants us to connect with each other. And it always sees us as equal to other people. So what happens in life, either it pulls up one or the other teacher. And, for example, if you, like, I can remember in the past when I would stub my toe on piles of books that I'd left around, and I would get so upset with the books. It was their fault. Why were they there? Well, they were there because I didn't put them away. And if I had decided to become aware of why I was so upset, I'd have to back up a little bit and say, oh, well, here I've got ego going. I've got outer mind going. It's saying, you know, the world should be the way you want it to be. Well, is it? No, it never is. But we do get so upset. So if we start to think more from the soul's perspective, the compassionate and rational perspective, that's when we say, well, what can I do? What can I learn from this? Not why me, but what can I learn? How can I benefit? How can I grow? And it becomes a day-to-day, actually almost an hour-to-hour experiment in learning to walk with the soul instead of just reacting out of habit, just doing the things that we're taught in our culture that we should do to kind of lord it over others or try to feel better about ourselves or try to find happiness in all these externals. And that's just not where it is. Yeah, we are kind of inside out there, aren't we? We just kind of have lived externally motivated and externally um, identified and we just we it's really uh it is a real um journey for us to move to another plane of thinking i'm glad you separated that out outer mind and soul mind because i think that's exactly how it works and how we evolve i so agree with that you mentioned there that you, you when you got mad at the books and we've all done that i mean you know every one of us have done something like that um but you, what what you said there was it should have been different there's a should there. Mm-hmm. So I, wanna, I, I know we just have just a few minutes left before the break, but I want to just kind of talk about that whole idea of what are the shoulds? Uh, what are, how do you, what are, what are shoulds and why do we use them and how do they interfere with our process? Oh, the shoulds are so rich. They are our negative core beliefs, which we develop in childhood as a way to kind of control the world around us. You know, when we're little, little squirts, we don't have a lot of control. And so we learn, well, I should be perfect. I should do things perfectly. And then maybe mommy and daddy will take care of me and love me forever. Or I should please other people in order to get love and security in my life. And these things, 
they do have some effectiveness when we're children because we don't really have a lot of other weapons. But these things are weapons. They are meant to manipulate other people, and manipulation always backfires in the end. Whereas as adults, we learn to love. We learn to interact with each other with love, without manipulation. And again, eye-to-eye and heart-to-heart. It's a very different way of living in the world, and it certainly is not supported by the culture. Yep. It sure isn't supported by the culture. We get a lot of irrational ideas from the culture. All right, so we're going to come back in just a few more minutes to talk more with Carol Klein about streetwise spirituality. If you're looking for some street smarts about how to be soulful, stay tuned. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Are you tired of the government squandering your tax dollars on bailouts and overpaid bureaucrats? On Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Mike Beitler and his guests explain why big government regulations are the problem and innovative businesses and free markets are the solution. Listen to Free Markets with Dr. Mike Beitler, Thursday mornings at 10 a.m. Eastern Time, 7 a.m. Pacific on the Voice America Business Network. Being here with Ariel and Shia Kane is an ordinary person's guide to modern-day enlightenment. This show is an exciting exploration which opens the door to living in the moment. Don't miss being here. Tune in every Wednesday at 9 a.m. Pacific, 12 noon Eastern with Ariel and Shia Kane right here on the 7th Wave Network. The Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Be extraordinary. Be the change. You're listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And welcome back to the 200th episode of the Authentic Living Show. This show is sponsored by the Institute of Noetic Sciences, dedicated to expanding science beyond conventional paradigms. Founded by Apollo 14 astronaut Edgel Mitchells, IONS is a nonprofit research, education, and membership organization whose mission is supporting individual and collective transformation through consciousness research, educational outreach, and engaging in a global learning community in the realization of human potential. You can join that learning community at www.noetic.org. And we're talking today with Carol Klein about her book, Streetwise Spirituality. And what we were saying just before the break was that um, there is a difference between outer mind and soul mind, and our job here is to get more and more in touch with soul mind. And we were talking about the shoulds and how they limit us and uh, keep our capacity from being in the soul mind present. So you want to say some more about that, Carol? Oh, sure. 
Well, one of the important things, when we can identify a should, and if we start looking, we'll find a bunch of them. We all have them. But first of all, to take a particular should, we need to identify the fear behind it. So if we think, I should do everything perfectly, here the fear is that if I don't do everything perfectly, the world's going to get out of my control. Everything will be out of my control. So I, I can try to do everything right, and that will mean that, that I can kind of make all the decisions here. Of course, it's not true. <laughs> we find ourselves, no matter how perfectly we do things, they're never completely perfect. And the problem with a perfectionist is, of course, they'll move the bar. If they set some standards for themselves and they begin to get too close to those standards, they'll raise the bar a little bit just to keep it out of touch. So it's a very frustrating, a deeply painful experience to live as a perfectionist. Mm -hmm. One of the problems with perfectionists is that they measure others against their own really impossible standards. And there's another aspect of it I don't think we think of so often, which is that they treat other people as puppets. They think, well, I will like you if you do things my way, but if you don't, I reject you. And the lesson there is to learn to respect others' ways of doing and being, to start letting go of control, and maybe learn to be part of a, like a collaborative team. But we fight that, and we're scared of it because the perfectionist, all wrapped up in his or her should, is just terrified of not being perfect. Yep. So for me, when I started, well, I was, <laughs> I'm a recovering perfectionist too. So when I started healing, I reminded myself over and over, I don't have to be perfect. I pursue progress. That's all I have to do. And that just allowed me to kind of rejoin the human race and it, you know, left perfection where it belongs with the soul because that's the only place that you're going to find it. Mm-hmm. Or completion. I, I like the uh, the version that I found in the Bible recently of uh, the, the idea. There was a passage that Jesus used, be perfect even as your heavenly Father is perfect. And uh, I found that the interpretation of that word was not at all what we think of as perfection. It was just completion, and meaning you're finished. You're, um, you're not good. You're not bad. You're just done. Oh, that's a wonderful perspective. Yeah, it is. Yeah, Yeah. and you know, I spend so much time and as a practitioner of therapy that, you know, talking to people about that very issue, about the shoulds in their lives, about their illusions, about how life ought to operate, and the shoulds they put on themselves are merciless. And it creates so anxiety-provoking and, as you said, painful. So, yeah, absolutely. These shoulds are definitely interfere with our peace of mind and keep us in the outer mind instead of the soul mind. They do. They just keep us so stuck. Like, mm-hmm. well, another one that I also am recovering from, which was as being a pleaser. And I needed to find out, to figure out that I couldn't please everyone all of the time and that I didn't have to. And that in truth, the, the validation of who I am and the love that I wanted was all inside myself. I mean, it begins with the soul. But we we run around looking outside ourselves to try to find somebody to make us feel whole, whereas the wholeness is always there if we just recognize it. Absolutely, and the same could be said about everything else in life, couldn't it? Yes, indeed it could. 
good. That's right. We're looking for it outside instead of inside. Yeah, and, and, and you know, that whole thing is a setup. You you bravely talked about your uh, childhood and your your father and all of that in this book, and, and I so admire people who are willing to just go ahead and say that stuff in their books. I, I think that that's how we get set up so much to be – to, to fall into a, a, a sort of fantasy about somebody else, what they are like and what they're not. And you spent some time in the book talking about fantasy, and I want to talk about that because you said that we need to set aside fantasy in the name of reality, and that's really a hard one because um, we very often don't know the difference. So do you want to talk some more about that? That one is very – that's been a real learning for me because I discovered – actually fairly recently, that I had been fantasizing around an old love and had tried to make it into something that it never was, tried to make the guy into somebody he never was, and didn't even see it. But behind that, when I finally got to the the bottom part of it, I realized that he was exactly what I needed him to be, as he was, without... I didn't want somebody who was real. I wanted a fantasy because I didn't know how to love. Yep. So he was perfect at that point. And then as I grow, then that changes. And our whole lives change when we change. And sometimes that can be terribly painful because we may not necessarily recognize that by changing ourselves that we may lose some relationships that are very important to us. But everything, you know, it's love moves and grows or it dies. And that's true of us too, as we love. If we have relationships that are stuck in fantasy, like a bug in amber, you know, just dead. And it looks it looks like something from the outside, but there's nothing nourishing us from the inside. That's when we need to find the courage, which comes from the soul, to examine what it is we really want and what we're willing to put into love and how hard we're we're willing to make the effort to grow. Yep. Yeah, absolutely. And and the interesting thing about fantasies is that while they can be uh, just illusions about reality, they can also give us information about what we truly want. So, for example, when I'm working with somebody who is in love with a fantasy uh, in their lives and real, they, they can see, intellectually at least, they can see that the fantasy doesn't meet the reality, what we do is we take that fantasy and say, okay, Okay, what is that fantasy telling you that this person is? Okay, well, that is what you really want in a relationship because that fantasy is giving you information in the same way that a fantasy can give an artist the flow of his paint or music or dance or the novel they're writing or something like that. So, so fantasy is both useful and, and harmful. And that's part of the reason it's hard to set it aside and, and look at reality. It's very hard, and I think in that case, often it's it's helpful to connect with a counselor, somebody who can be kind of a, a third eye, get a little distance on it, because when you start to realize how deep the fantasy goes into your life and how long you've been hanging on to it, I know for myself, I felt I felt devastated because here I've been pretending to myself all those years that it was something that it was not, and. As you said, it was something I wanted. I, I was, I have a tendency connect, to connect with distant men. And he was the ultimate distant man. And yes, there was a part of me that wanted that, that feared to get closer. Mm-hmm. But also another part that wanted what I was not getting. 
That's yep. that old pain in love. Yep. Yeah, so there was a repetitive pattern plus the the idea of a of a uh you know, a fantasy guy. Yeah, yes. absolutely. Yep. Okay, so let's talk a little bit about you talked and I've heard other people say this too, that there's a distinction and it's uh it's not a real distinction, but it, it helps us clarify uh the dis- difference between emotions and feelings. Yes. Talk about that for a minute. That was something that was brought out at those lectures that I went to so many years ago. It was very, very helpful as a concept to think of emotions as what we feel when outer mind is in charge. So it's the jealousy, it's the possessiveness, it's uh, trying to get a leg up on other people, it's being afraid, whereas feelings are connected with the soul, the soul mind, and that's the compassion, the generosity, the sense of equality with others, the kindness, the things that we do for other people where we aren't going to necessarily get anything back from our, for ourselves. And for me, then, when I have a, something that comes up in my life, I identify, well, is this a feeling or is this an emotion? And what do I want to do with it? So if it's emotion, there's going to be a fear behind it. Whereas if it's a feeling, it's one of those things that, that lifts me, that, that fills my life and fills my heart and makes me feel more like the person that I really am down deep. Okay. So, so it's kind of the dis, it's a little bit like what some people call positive and negative emotions, but it's also uh, a, a connection. One of them, the one you're saying is an emotion is a connection to the external world, whereas a feeling is just an inner sensation of something. Do I have that right? Feeling is something that comes from the soul. And when, say that we feel compassionate towards somebody, it's one of those, a feeling is something that cannot be limited. It can't be put in a box because when you give compassion, you have this sense of it coming back to you. And it's, it's huge. It's just it, you cannot measure it. Whereas emotions are dark and scary and they tend to close your world in and keep you stuck. They put you in a box. Okay. Okay. All right, so it, that could be a helpful way of sort of di- uh, distinguishing and sorting out the various things that are going on inside of us, which I think is one of the hardest things for us to do when we make up our minds to take that inner journey. It, it's the hardest thing and, and sometimes why it is helpful to talk to other people, whether it's a counselor or, or friends who, are, who will understand or whatever, to sort of help yourself get clarity about what is and isn't true inside of you because we got a lot of messages going on in there. I say it's sort of like a committee in there and everybody's talking at once and we have to figure out who's saying what and why and, and work with each one of those individually. So yeah. it is hard. It's it's very, very hard. And I've had people ask me, Am I gonna to have to work this hard all my life? <laughs> and mm-hmm. the truth is after you start on the path and then you start wanting to recognize what this stuff is and you you just look every day oh why am i feeling the way i'm feeling you just you start to get used to it it becomes kind of a pattern kind of a a good pattern and a good habit and you can build those habits in to fill in where you used to have the bad habits which is helpful absolutely absolutely and it also works too uh, in the sense that you you get clearer and clearer on that little ding inside you that goes, yep, that's it. That little re- resonance that goes, uh huh, yeah, that's that's what I'm doing. Um, instead of looking for somebody else to tell us, yeah. 
All right, so we're going to be back uh, right after the break with more from Carol Klein about streetwise spirituality. Stay tuned. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Frankly Speaking About Cancer is a program designed to empower survivors and their caregivers to deal with the social and emotional challenges of cancer. Drawing on resources from wellness communities throughout America and abroad, the show will invite physicians, researchers, nurses, social workers, patients, and caregivers to share their advice on how to live a better life with cancer. Join host Kim Tibaldo, President and CEO of the Wellness Community, Tuesday afternoons at 1 p.m. Pacific Time and 4 p.m. Eastern Time on the Voice America Health and wellness network are you feeling slammed and suckered in today's stock market if so then you need to tune in to profitable investing with jordan kimmel every thursday at 8 a.m pacific time jordan kimmel will train you in what you can do to beat up the big boys on wall street as well as share his secrets to success so that you can buy and sell like a profit pumping pro grab the bull market by the horns and listen to profitable investing with jordan kimmel Every Thursday at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, right here on the bottom line in business talk, Voice America Business. Be visionary. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We're back with the 200th episode of the Authentic Living Show, talking today to Carol Klein about her book, Streetwise Spirituality, 28 Days to Inner Fitness and Everyday Enlightenment. And we were talking just before the break about uh, the difference between emotions and feelings, and, and uh, we talked a little bit about fantasy, in particular fantasy relationships. Uh, what I want to talk about now, Carol, if you will, is that you spent a lot of time talking about these three words, patience, perseverance and adaptability. I want to talk about that because those are those are words we don't hear when we talk about things like the law of attraction. We don't hear pers- patience, perseverance and adaptability. We hear other things. So I want to I want to hear about that. All right. Well, those were the the cornerstones of those lectures from an organization that I was a part of from the age of 13. And I went through the transcripts from those lectures and those were the words that stood out and I thought well those are the three things I absolutely cannot do I'm completely impatient I never persevere I I get into something and I think oh well I've mastered that onto something else and of course I've never mastered it and as far as adaptability is concerned it was it had to be my way or I wouldn't play and I was beginning to see how much my intractability my just my stubbornness had kept my life kind of in a very small place and just never never connected with other people. I felt isolated, I felt jealous, I felt unliked. Just I was I was apart from everyone else. 
So I thought, okay, let me see if some of this is going to work. And I began to be more patient. And it wasn't just patient for something happening. It was patience with myself because I was never patient with myself either or other people or circumstances. But I began to just kind of calm down when I'd get into a situation where I'd begin to rev up inside and think, oh, this is taking too much time. I've got to get out of here. I've got to get out of here. I'd just take a deep breath, calm down, and let it be. And then the perseverance, I realized that I was never going to get much of anywhere with my life if I wasn't willing to go ahead and persevere. It was like writing the book. When I went to a weekend retreat that uh, Neil Donald Walsh held, I told him, you know, I, I was either crazy about writing. I would write 15 hours a week, a day, or I wouldn't write at all. And he said, okay, just write, promise yourself that you will write one hour every day without fail. And I did. And that gave the book a heartbeat. And I, you know, of course, I did more than an hour a day, but it was, it was a, a contract that I made with myself, and I could not break that. And then the, the adaptability part, oh, that was difficult, because I really thought that if the world did everything my way, it would be a perfect world. And of course, it wasn't. And I began to accept that other people had their ways too, and I didn't have to be feeling like I was this creature above the planet just kind of <laughs> pulling strings and getting people to do what I wanted them to do. So it was, it was heavy duty and it was not easy. But now I can say that I am patient, I do persevere, and I'm very open to other way, others' ways of doing and thinking, acting, speaking. It's a very different life, complete turnaround. Absolutely. And it re- leaves so much room for creativity because once we are patient, we slow down enough to hear the creative voices inside of us. And when we persevere, we can stay with something long enough to see how it will evolve inside of us and put it manifested externally in the same way. And when we are adaptable, that means that we can take something we've created and change it into something else if we need to. So it's, uh, it's, uh, those are just, I really do think that creative impulse inside of us is very rich and real and important. And, uh, these are the ways we get to it. Yes. And I see the creativity as being soul based. So if we let go of our rigidity, we're open to that. I was at an airport, oh, a couple months back. And it looked like I wasn't going to be able to get a plane out of that particular city that night. And, you know, I wasn't happy about it. But I was watching the people around me who learned what we were about to go through. And some of them were just this one young woman came rushing up to the desk. And she said, I'm furious. I'm just furious. And her whole body was just kind of knotted up. You could see it in everything about her. And she was just kind of stuck there. I thought, okay, what can I learn from this? What can I do? How can I, how can I connect with my creativity? And just the thought came to mind, ask for a golf cart at the other end of this flight so that maybe you can make your next flight. I wouldn't have thought of that if I'd been all tied up in knots, but I went up and asked and the guy said, okay, I'll order it. I don't know if it'll happen, but when I got there, the woman who was so furious was just stomping around so sure that she wasn't going to get where she was going whereas I was flying to this golf cart which I jumped on and we whizzed across the terminal and I caught my plane wonderful and that's just yeah. that is such a different way of being because that's not the way I used to be 
Yeah, absolutely. And I, I remember just a really brief story about my own life. When I was young, I was vacuuming the house. I was doing my chores like a good girl, and uh, which I didn't always do. But uh, but uh, I I was vacuuming, and I was really impatient about something else too. I was waiting for somebody to come or something. I can't remember what. But I remember thinking, if I just get busy thinking about something else while I'm waiting for this person, then I'll feel better. And what happened was I began to think of some other things that I needed to do that really did help me in the long haul. So, yeah, that that patience gives us that little pause that you're talking about that just says, okay, now what else? What else is in here? Patience is so wonderful. It's like I used to get in lines and they go so slowly and I get so upset and just wish that they would move forward. You know how you get this sense in yourself, you know, move forward, move forward. Of course mm-hmm. not. And so because I was beginning to work with patients, I thought, well, what can I do that's different? And I thought, well, one thing I can do is kind of send a, a blessing to the people in the line. That's not bad. Or I can do this kind of a an eyes open stand up meditation. Or I can have a book with me. I never go anywhere now without a book. And that uh-huh. makes the time go so quickly. So there's always something that we can do instead of just getting upset. Yep, that's right. Because I often think I don't have time for this kind of reading. And then if I, and for me, it's just a magazine. Pick a magazine up off the counter and wait mm-hmm. while I'm reading it. Yeah, so okay. Let's talk a little bit uh, about the adaptability that it takes to have mistakes, to deal with the mistakes in our lives. Oh, yes. I used to do anything to avoid making mistakes because, of course, that didn't fit my persona as a perfect person. But these days, I find that making a mistake is really, turns out to be a blessing because I kind of rejoin the human race again (laughs) in this way. Mm -hmm. Everybody makes mistakes all the time, and you have to forgive yourself. Forgiveness is huge, and as long as we can forgive ourselves for the mistakes that we make, we can forgive other people. I know some people who just hold on to unforgiveness towards some other person. But I really think the root of it is that there's something they cannot forgive to themselves. And they hold on to that, and it can just ruin your life. I was reading recently about some people from the Holocaust that went to... Oh, a large gathering, and two of the people who'd gone through the Holocaust were busy talking about how much they hated the people who'd helped them. And the third person talked about how much he loved the fact that he'd been able to come to America and create a different kind of life for himself, and how much he appreciated that. It's very different. Uh huh. Very different. Yeah, absolutely. It makes you feel better. And it also, again, makes more room for creativity when you're not all scrunched down into some old thing that's in the past. You're in the present more. Yeah. The two other people were just still in the past. Their feet were, they, it may have been 20, 30, 40 years later, but their feet were right back where they had started. And this man had gone on. And that's what we all need to do. Absolutely. Absolutely. I certainly have worked with lots and lots of people that are just stuck sitting right, right. 20, 30 years ago and not can't move past it. Absolutely. Right. Yeah, and, and when our, and our own mistakes are, are, are also opportunities for creativity because isn't that the way Einstein and, and, uh, uh, Edison and lots of the great inventors of our day create is that they make mistakes and each mistake teaches them what it's not so they can figure out what it is? Yes. <laughs> Absolutely. Yeah. 
Yeah. How else are we going? It's like life is like a foreign language. You can't learn it by not making mistakes. You have to make mistakes in order to master it. And life is about mastery. And so we need to be willing to step out, to have courage, to risk, and to fall flat on our faces and stand up again and keep going. Yep, and we're so worried that if we do that, we might be embarrassed or we might just feel ashamed of ourselves. I know. That's certainly how I felt. I, I didn't want anyone to look at me and say, oh, she made a mistake. Oh, please. <laughs> and I think it's, to me, a big part of the soul is laughter, being mm-hmm. able to laugh at ourselves and to find humor in situations and just take a, a deep breath, sit back, not be so terribly serious all of the time because we don't have to be. Yep, Life right. isn't like that. Yep, that's right. Absolutely. I, and I, I really do think uh, the divine sense of humor is really funnier than anything else. <laughs> <laughs> Indeed. <laughs> all right, so let's talk a little bit now. We may not be able to finish this, this uh, during this little segment, but we'll come back to it in the next one if we don't. I want to talk about intention because that's a big word that seems to carry a lot of weight right now in the New Age New Thought movement. So what do you mean when you say the word intention? Intention is just huge. I was at a Body, Mind, Spirit Expo in Honolulu recently, and I was talking to a man who was in deep pain from a financial situation about having an intentional meditation. And he said, oh, you mean I should, I should say, okay, I intend to, to return all my business calls today. And I, and I said, no, oh, no, no, no. <laughs> Intentions are you're talking to your soul, and you're saying, like, say this, this day I intend to be grateful. Whatever happens, that's what I intend. And you hold that as, as the way that you go through the day. But there was an interesting study at the Heart Math Institute, which I'm sure you ran across too, that said that when we make an intention, it cannot be just an intellectual exercise. We can't just say, okay, I intend not to blame people today. If we combine it with feeling, not emotion, but feeling, if we warm it with feeling, it has ever so much more power in our lives to make transformation in our experiences. So again, it's this connection of the head and the heart with intention that gives it its power and just makes it come alive. Yeah. And I, I, I would I add to that too. I think I, the, one of the ways that I found that helps me to, uh, to really add feeling to it is not, to, is, is to, Rather than deciding myself on what my intention is going to be, rather to ask my soul what its intention is for the day and see if I can resonate with that. And then I believe, I really can believe that it's going to happen because my soul has got all the power. Absolutely. It drives the bus. Yep. Yep. Yeah, so... When we, yeah, that idea of ta- making intention just as an intellectual endeavor is one of the one of the issues I think that we've had is we've just said to ourselves, well, I should be able to do this because I said I was going to do it, and I can't. So, you know, we get frustrated with our own intentions. We do. All right. So we're going to come back after the break and talk uh, one last time with Carol Marley Klein about her book, Streetwise Spirituality, 28 Days to Inner Fitness and Everyday Enlightenment. Stay tuned.
the 7th Wave Channel on the Voice America Network. The Mayan calendar tells us that we will be entering into a 260-day opportunity for us to engage in conscious co-creation with great spirit. How will we prepare ourselves for this exciting and unprecedented time in Earth's history? Peter Tong has dedicated over 20 years of his life's work to exploring that which is beyond understanding. Peter will help increase your awareness and education on this enlightening transformation in consciousness. Awakening to Conscious Co-Creation airs live Wednesdays at noon Pacific Time, 3 p.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Ask Theo Live is talk radio like you've never heard before. Following her near-death experience, world-renowned author and spiritual medium Sheila Gillette became the direct voice channel for Theo, a consortium of 12 archangels. Through this unique channel, Sheila and her co-host Marcus Gillette present you with an opportunity to speak directly with Theo live on air on any topic you wish to discuss, including receiving authentic messages from deceased loved ones and angelic guides. Get the answer you need by tuning in to Ask Theo Live Talk Radio. Tuesday mornings at 8 a.m. Pacific Time, 11 a.m. Eastern Time on 7th Wave Network. Invite meaning and inspiration to your life. This is the Voice America 7th Wave Channel. Listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. We want to hear from you. If you have a question or comment about today's show, call in now, toll free, 1-866-472-5795. That's 1-866-472-5795. You can also send your questions or comments by email to Andrea at andreamatthewslpc.com. Now, back to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. And we're back for our final segment with Carol Marley Klein, of uh, the author of Streetwise Spirituality, 28 Days to Inner Fitness and Everyday Enlightenment. And Carol, if you will, I would love it if you could tell our audience something about how they might connect with you and anything you've got coming up that you'd like to share. Oh, thank you. I'd love to reconnect with any of your listeners. Uh, I'd like to invite them to go to my website at streetwisespirituality.org and sign on for the newsletter for more Streetwise tips. I'm also going to, I've been doing quite a few expos around the country, and I have one coming up in June in Santa Fe, New Mexico, one in uh, October, I think it is, in Durango, uh, no, September, in Durango, Colorado, and then October, New York, and November, Portland, Oregon, and you can find all the details on my website, and um, that's about it. Okay, great. Okay, so I, I hope the listening audience will follow up on that and connect with you there and get your newsletter. All right, so I want to I want to talk a little bit about this thing about compassion because I think sometimes that we can contrive that we can uh, we can make up something in our mind that we think is love and we try really hard to give it to other people and it ends up really looking more like a lot more like duty and obligation and I think we do the same thing to ourselves sometimes. So I want to talk a little bit about what it is to be compassionate towards ourselves. That's a really important issue. And on my radio program, I've talked quite a bit about self-love. And, of course, when I'm with an audience, they get upset. They say, self-love? What is this? You want me to be egotistical and think I'm wonderful? Well, yes, you are wonderful. (laughs) 
basically as a person, you are a wonderful person, but it's not an egotistical approach to love yourself. It's the ability to forgive oneself. It's the ability to be kind to oneself. And it's not just like the difference between parents who are permissive toward their kids versus those who train them with like the tough love ideas with the principles and and how to grow up to be a straight, strong human being rather than just saying, oh, well, raise yourself. With ourselves, in loving ourselves, we need to think about the mind and we need to think about the body and the spirit and the emotions. I can think back in years ago when I was very upset because my my father had abandoned the family and so I saw myself as an abandoned child. That was me. That was my my story. And so when I would connect with men, I would find men who would either abandon me or I would abandon them. That was just all it was over and over again, my repetitive patterns. Until I finally understood the real lesson behind abandonment, which was I should never abandon myself. And I could see that physically I had done that. I had eaten junk food all of my life, didn't exercise ever. And mentally I thought of myself as this kind of a loser. I would connect with these men over and over again so that I could be miserable. And spiritually I didn't give myself anything. I just cut it off. Other people could have things with the spirit I would not. And so the whole issue of self-love is learning to direct the compassion toward yourself, finding that place in the heart and the soul to connect and be at peace, to find that little spot that you can start from and to recognize that, yes, we are all worthwhile. We are all divine. We are all connected. We are all one. And start from that rather than doing that, the dance that we're taught in this culture, reaching out for whatever we can find outside ourselves. Mm-hmm. To me, that's, that's just kind of basic to how yeah. we can begin to be happy. Absolutely. I mean, how can you be happy if you don't even love the body you're in or the, the mind you're in? No. Yeah. And, and and I mean, there's so much of that that we could spend hours talking about that has to do with self-worth and we, and, and we get confused about love and what that is and what that isn't and whether or not we can actually love a self that makes mistakes and, and you know, that other people don't necessarily always like and all that. And it gets all confused. But the kind of love you're talking about has an unconditionality to it, right? Yes, it does. And it's one of those things where, you know, we may not always like ourselves for what we do, but the love, that needs to be there. It's like connections with other people. We don't always like what others do, but if it's somebody that is very important to us, we love them no matter what. And that's what the unconditionality is. We cannot offer it to others unless we offer it to ourselves. All of the good things that we want to offer to other people we have to offer ourselves to understand them. We have yeah. to embody them. We have to be them. It's like the saying, you know, be love. Well, how do you do that? That's the fundamental lesson. And again, you're talking about what we see as love. So much of what we see as love is truly manipulative, trying to get others to do something for us. We're not thinking of what might be best for them or might, what, might, what even something would be best for us. We're just trying to push them around like like dominoes, and that that's always going to backfire. Mm-hmm. 
Yep. Yeah, I agree. We and we get mixed, love mixed up with a whole lot of things: manipulation, power, uh, possessiveness, jealousy. We think a lot of that means loving somebody, but it actually doesn't at all. Yeah, and so, so you know, sometimes what I say to people is, I mean, I've done it to myself. I find myself, I have found myself calling myself names, um, or just talking to myself like I'm a, you know. Primeval slime or something. And, uh, you know, and other people do it too. And, and I, and when I catch myself or other people doing it, I say, now would you talk to a little child who came in to see you and, and said, I'm hurting or I'm scared or I've just made a mistake. Would you talk to that child that way? And most people and myself included would say, no, of course not. Well, that's what you're doing. You're talking to a child who's stuck in, in some kind of unresolved issue. And uh, if you can just kind of see it that way, it makes the compassion rise up again. I think you've hit on something really important because when I think back years ago, my favorite name for myself was idiot. Mm-hmm. And I did that all the time. I just called myself an idiot, whatever I did that was not exactly right. And I think now, you know, if we cannot treat ourselves as our own best friends, then who can we treat as a friend? It all starts at home. And it starts by going deeply within. I'm very much, you know, meditation is a big thing with me. I do it, I do a kind of bookends. I start the morning off with it, and that's the last thing I do before I go to sleep. And they're a little bit different. At night, I ask myself several questions, like, what did I learn today? And what did I share? And what could I do better? And those are very helpful, just to kind of go into sleep with those three questions. And sometimes I don't really have an answer. But at least I look for it. Mm-hmm. Yeah, staying inside is the big deal, and and that that is one of those things you said at the beginning of this little part that that people ask you isn't that uh, you know isn't that being egotistical? And one of the other words that I hear is isn't that being selfish? Isn't it being selfish to think about yourself and stay inside yourself? So what do you say to people when they ask that question? I say that being selfish is when you cut yourself off. But when you connect with your innermost self, then you are connecting with everybody. Wow. So Very to be good. kind to yourself, I'm not, not to an extreme, but thinking about what you need. Do you need a little time today to yourself? Do you need, oh, maybe a lunch, something to feel yep. better? And that's All right. You build on it. Absolutely. And thank you so much, Carol, for being here today. I've really enjoyed talking with you. And next week, we're going to be talking about wisdom and how you can access it, what it is and what it isn't, and how you can get it for yourself. And remember, your job, should you choose to accept it, is to give birth to yourself. Thanks again for listening to Authentic Living with Andrea Matthews. Join us again next Wednesday afternoon at 1 p.m. Pacific, 4 p.m. Eastern Time here on the 7th Wave Network. We'll talk again next week.